Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. Uh, you're with your hosts, Tim Bickmore, Nathaniel Leach, and Dan Weiss, and we have a guest today. Uh, we have John Crawford, who owns and operates a third-generation family business, Crawford Oil and Propane, located in Portage, Wisconsin. The enterprise includes multiple businesses, employing roughly 40 people. He has a background in sociology research and statistics, and graduated with a BA from Augsburg College, Minneapolis. Um, so we're really excited to have John on the air today with us because we are going to talk about the oil markets. Uh, as many probably know, COVID-19 has hit the headlines pretty hard. And in the background, a little bit in the shadow, you have probably seen oil prices that actually went into negative territory for a day, which had never happened um, in our lifetime. So it is very interesting. And a lot of people probably have heard about the Saudi Arabia and the Russia spat, what was going on there. Um, with potentially cutting oil production back. And so we've seen some real fluctuation within the oil markets. And as John has mentioned, you know, off, off this call, that is a lot of it is due to COVID-19. So we're really excited to talk about it. And that's what our conversation is going to be about. So John, I really just want to, you know, have you start first. And I'm just curious about to give us a background on Saudi Arabia and Russia, and just kind of your overall thoughts on what in the world is going on in the oil markets. Oh, bro. Thanks, guys. Uh, first of all, thanks for starting your podcast in the middle of this uh, wonderful time we're in. You know, I always try to find the silver lining in things. And if, if, if your podcast is your silver lining, congratulations, because it's fantastic. Thank it's you. Fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, we've seen gas prices now below a dollar, right? I mean, I remember when I filled up my car in 1996 for like 96 cents, right? And uh, I thought I would never see that again, right? I remember the day after Obama took office, everyone said Obama gave us $1.99 gas, you know, that was a big deal. To take us a quick trip down memory lane, in uh, January 6th, WTI crude contract for February was $61 a barrel and climbing. 2020 was starting out to be a huge year for oil. Uh, the economy was roaring, right? And um, we, we usually do a lot of our contracting in January for the, for the following year. It's usually a good month. And a lot of guys were holding off. And then it was buy, 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 buy. I mean, everyone was buying in. I mean, we had seen diesel prices that we were able to lock in for lower than the year before, even at $61 crude. Good value, really good value in the market. You get the uh, coronavirus starting to hit headlines, slowly depressing prices, slowly, slowly, slowly. Dropping into the 50s by the end of January, people are getting a little spooky. February starts to get a little more spooky. People are going, oh man, this is maybe legit. This could maybe become a bigger problem. Well, prices started to press into the 40s. You know, getting back into the lows of the year before, we're going, okay, okay. OPEC is calling their meeting to go over supply cuts for the year. Their, their previous arrangement was expiring in April. And we're seeing the coronavirus going through the world. We're going, everyone, including traders, myself said, they're going to meet in the first week of March. They're going to cut production. They're not going to let the bottom fall out of this thing. No way. Saudi Arabia had already sold 5% of their interest, right? I mean, it's like, 
there's no way they're going to let this thing go. So we're watching prices drop. And Sunday night, they're having their a meeting uh, with uh, uh, Russia. Uh, it's a, uh, they're having a, like a conference call before their meeting. All of a sudden, I log in and I see that oil prices are down like $20 a barrel <laughs> overnight. So it's like, you know, 40%. And I'm going, what? This can't be right. You know, I said, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is going to just, this is insane. So I start digging, digging. Sure enough, you know, Russia does, doesn't want to, they didn't want to comply with what they were being asked to cut, you know? And when you look at the details of that phone call and the details of what they were asking, I, I don't, I actually don't really blame them. You know, they, they have been, they're not part of OPEC. And it seems like people have been really relying on them to pull a lot of the weight. And so, um, you know, Russia doesn't mind $50 Brent. And so they're going, hey, look, you know, we're doing fine. Um, why do we have to keep being the ones to continually cut at a higher percentage? So um, Russia says no. So we're thinking, okay, they're going to get it back to the table on Monday. They're going to stop the bleeding. No problem. Nope. Nope. Saudi Arabia pulls the famous, uh, fine, we're going to increase production by 3 million barrels a day in a depressed market. Stick it to them. Stick it to the United States. Stick it to everyone. And we see the most massive collapse in price since peak oil prices in 2008-9. This is before we really, any of the uh, shutdowns in the United States, this is before New York, before all that. So right after that happens, we just kind of go, okay, well, then the meeting, the, the official meeting will be five days later. So they're, they're, they're going to fix this. Within uh, 24 hours, Russia says, bring it on. It's game on. Okay. And every, everything continues to fall. We get into the end of the week. All of a sudden, the coronavirus is spreading through the United States. And the potential for demand destruction hits. We hit the 30s. We hit, And it's just, it's going. It's just going nuts. Um, and then all of a sudden, by the next week, Russia's now, they're, they're, they're trying everything. Because now it's like, oh, crap, guys, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Uh, Russia's saying things like, hey, we're willing to cut a deal. And, you know, and Saudi Arabia's going, hey, um, maybe after April, because they don't want to, like, look weak. So they, they, they actually continued the production. So April hits. They ship how many tankers to the United States, China? beginning of April, it's in the market. So when that happened in the first part of April, even though they were willing to come back to the table, it was too late. That was too much oil just in that time frame hit the market. So now we're into April. We got safer at home orders, demand destructions going up. You know, I own gas stations. Demand has dropped 50%, you know, the average across the state. Gasoline is really what runs the economy, not diesel. I mean, yes, diesel moves our goods and you know, the, the, all the stuff that we need to buy, but still we're a purchasing economy, right? So if we're not driving with our cars to go buy stuff, you know, it's kind of a problem. Yeah. In addition to that, um, I, I also work a lot in um, uh, railway and railway grind, just, just ground to a halt, 40% drop in rail. You know, when you see rail start to fall, I mean, I always tell my friends, when you see rail start to fall, look out because that that's the that's a sign of bad times coming and it happened like just snap of a finger so you got all this stuff going on 
You got oil prices falling down to 20s. WTI falling to 20s. You got break even for the most part in the United States at 30 bucks a barrel. So we're into April. The Saudi Arabia and Russia thing is already gone. No one's even talking about it by the second week in April. They forgot, people forgot that they even had a spat because COVID-19 now has overtaken the entire world. And the response is, what are we going to do? So OPEC has the emergency meeting, right? And they say, you know, we're going to cut, you know, 10 million to 15 million, maybe it's 20, who knows, barrels a day out of the marketplace. The market reacts really favorably. It pops like from the 40% drop, it rebounds 25, 30. I mean, it's just insane amounts of volatility, right? Can't even keep it straight anymore. So we sit there and we go, okay, great. This is going to put a floor. We're going to put a floor in on oil around 25 to 30 a barrel on WTI. That'll allow US producers to scoot by at cost. Russia and them can still make money. We'll get through the coronavirus, move forward. Well, one problem, America didn't stop pumping. <laughs> we continued to pump. Uh, so we, we were at about 12 million barrels a day. We, we just didn't stop. We just did not quit. Our exporting started to dry up a bit. We started slowly filling caverns. Tankers started not going as fast. Gasoline and diesel inventory started to build dramatically quickly. And by the middle of April there, our inventories and our spot markets in Chicago were, were flooded. And so as many people noticed, gasoline prices, diesel prices dropped dramatically fast. Maybe not as fast as they would have liked to. However, as retailers, when your demand goes down 50%, margins tend to be different than two. It's a bit of a shock. It's a bit of a shock, right? And there's no market share to compete for. So pretty much it was like, we don't know where we're going. And so eventually the market did catch up, right? As you saw by the, towards the end of this month, you saw 99 cent gasoline. And then everyone was curious. They're saying, well, why is it so much higher in other places in the country? I mean, we, we saw $1.50 to $2 swings in the price of gasoline across the country. You know, what had happened here in Chicago, you know, we are the largest refining capacity in the nation is in the Chicago spot market. Uh, we refine Canadian crude. Uh, we have the most robust refineries in, in the nation, you know, and, and we're nice and protected. We don't have hurricanes, we don't have earthquakes. These guys didn't, they didn't shut off. They just full steam ahead. And before we knew it, we saw Chicago spot pricing dropping 40 cents a gallon of gasoline below New York Harbor spot pricing. So basically, you know, going on the NYMEX, the, on, on, the, uh, on the day trade for spot gasoline, on the NYMEX, buying the same, buying the gallon of gasoline in the Chicago market was 40 cents a gallon cheaper. Yeah. So are you saying in one market, so you actually the Chicago market, right? And then you have the New York market and you're saying the Chicago market is at least 40 cents cheaper than New York. Correct. So for, for our listeners, what will, like, why can you have such a discrepancy between Chicago and New York? I mean, you're talking a drive of how many hours away that can be that big of a difference? Correct. So there's there's actually four there's actually four spot markets east of the Rockies. Okay. There's what they call the group. The group is uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Dakotas that way towards Montana down. Now that doesn't really get too much to Montana. 
and goes through like the Plains. Then you have the Gulf Coast market. And then you have New York Harbor, East Coast Harbor. And then you have Chicago spot, which is your main central Midwestern states, Indiana, Michigan. There. Now, Wisconsin always continues to be an interesting state because we share borders with group economics as well as Chicago economics. So for me to get into the Magellan pipelines in Iowa, it's not that far of a drive. So we're in this really interesting spot where we can always take advantage of group economics when they're cheap or Chicago economics when they're cheap. When this happens though, you have Chicago offering their gasoline at 40 cents a gallon. And you talked about the drive from New York, you are correct. There would be in terminals in Chicago, I guarantee you, if it wasn't a demand depressed like it is right now, and I've seen this, there would be transport trucks from New York in Chicago because with freight differences, it can be actually cheaper sometimes to truck from Indiana, Ohio back into New York. And so yeah. why, like, why can you have such a large discrepancy between New York and Chicago? Two things. It's the um, first is your base product, right? Chicago is, is based upon uh, mostly uh, Canadian and Bakken crude economics. And New York Harbor is based upon all, uh, all imports, all imports, mostly Saudi Arabian sweet crude. So it would be transactional cost, the ship from like Saudi Arabia, for example, is a lot more expensive just to ship it relative to getting it from the Bakken or Canadian borders. Part of it. Yep. Part of it. And then also just the overall abundance of supply. Like Chicago is just so rich in supply. I mean, we, we have, we have been the cheapest spot market in the country now for ever since actually since post 2008 and nine, you know, BP and others really invested in their refineries to take this, to take our, our fracking crude as well as um, our tar sands crude out of Canada. And it was a huge cost to do this with the refineries, to, to retool all these refineries. So in the past, we used to actually, uh, Chicago was a very volatile market because we, we didn't have access to a lot of um, like on the Gulf Coast or the East Coast. We couldn't do imports very well, right? So when there was a disruption, it was a disaster. And then we would get piped up from the Gulf Coast, but the Gulf Coast has hurricanes. So then there'd be a hurricane and then the spot market in Chicago would go bananas because then we couldn't get extra product from the Gulf Coast. And well, after Chicago made these investments, we became literally the heart of the oil industry in the United States. All those pipelines that used to flow from the Gulf Coast to Chicago now flow from Chicago down to the Gulf Coast because we refine more product than anywhere else. And so now the hurricanes, like we've noticed around here is like hurricanes will happen now. Price stays the same here because we're actually supplying the hurricane stricken area and they can actually make up that demand, that demand, uh, uh, the, the loss of production in the Gulf Coast where those things happen. So really what happened in this scenario is that Chicago refineries just continued to refine and refine and refine and refine. We were swimming in gas and diesel with nowhere to go. You can't pump it into the Magellan pipeline to the group because that pipeline was full. It was so full, you guys, but the demand dropped so fast that we were having supply disruptions, even though we were having, we have the most inventory ever. Because the way the pipeline works, you know, you can't move 
the product out of the pipeline without pulling out what's in the front, right? And the only way you move it, besides pulling it out, is to push other product on the other end, push it through. So we'd be out of gasoline at the terminal and the next, and, and the segment in the pipe that would be the gasoline would be, would, let's say it would be behind maybe a million, a million gallons of diesel. Well, diesel demand was down so much, they couldn't even pull the diesel out of the line because the tanks would be full in the terminal. So until you would sell the diesel to get it out of the pipe, you couldn't get to the gas shipment that was behind the diesel because all that stuff was put in the pipe two weeks before this demand disruption. So we actually had two weeks here in April of supply disruptions during a time of a plethora of supply. I mean, you never would think of that. You would have supply problems at a time when you- So when you, when you see the decline in oil prices, that, like when we saw the negative day, right? That you kind of yes. led up into. And so you, and most people out there, when they talk about oil, they have the demand side, people are the demand side, and then you have the supply side people, right? So what's gonna dictate the price of oil? Is there not enough demand, too much supply, not enough supply, too much demand, and then it creates the vacillation of, of oil prices. So based off your story, it sounds like what we were seeing is kind of the perfect storm where yeah. we had way too much supply and then we had such a, a cliff of demand drop off that we didn't even know what to do at all. No. Like a kind of an unprecedented time. So who, who do you think got caught with their um, pants down in a tide that was going out? I think some rookies, and that's honest to God, I think that's kind of like what happened is that the only people that were really stuck in that game were people who probably were rolling the dice a bit. They were probably were sitting on some higher priced contracts and they were holding on to the bitter end of the month, hoping that there would have been some sort of bump, something like a, a miracle drug or something that would hit the market that would give them the ability to, to, to sell that contract at the end of the month. And then that didn't happen. And so you're sitting there with these contracts. And if you're holding the contract, you have to take the oil, like the physical delivery of the oil. And there was nowhere to take the oil. The caverns are full. The ships are full. And so everybody who could be the buyer of the oil was like, I'm not buying that. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you buy it? Everybody buys it. It's, it, it's a dollar. And they're like, I'm not going to buy that for a dollar. And then pretty soon it goes negative And it was like, well, that's never happened. Let's see what happens. And they let the market go and it just. And so, so when it is negative, that means that the seller is paying the buyer to take yes. it off their hands. Yes, because they actually have to take delivery of that oil. They have to. There's nowhere to take it. And so the only way you have to have, take it to somebody who has the storage, but they don't want to buy it because they don't need it. And so the only way that you're going to get that person who might have the storage capacity to take it, you're going to pay them now to take it because they don't have to have it. Completely fascinating in a lot of ways. You wouldn't, I mean. Honestly, God, it, it made perfect sense to me. I mean, you, you, you know, you get to that point where you overproduced. Some people were hedging production and they overplayed their hand. They were hoping for something different at the end of the month and nobody was. So. I actually really liked it, quite frankly, because these guys were not slowing down. It really woke everybody up. Like, this is legit. You have to stop producing oil, gas, and diesel right now. 
when there is that much of a demand drop, you cannot be producing at the levels you're at. And so when it when this change hit and it went negative, it was the kind of the it was the answer. John, I, I'm I'm curious. So how do you feel that uh, this situation will impact, uh, if you can say, particular entities like ExxonMobil or Chevron or or BP, which you're very familiar with? I'm also curious too. How do you think this could impact industries like 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 the green energy push? Does this put that kind of on the back burner because oil is so cheap that people don't pay as much attention to um, alternatives at this point? Being someone that's in the energy sector, I always like to be able to see what I can sell differently. And uh, um, quite frankly, yeah, you're exactly right. When when prices go low like this, all the alternative just it just goes out the window. Now, from an investment standpoint, we'll see, because at the same point, people who were investing in oil and gas from an investor standpoint also lost their you-know-what. So it'll be interesting in this regard, because it's shown such a massive, I mean, this type of volatility is on, it's unprecedented. And saying, do we really want to put our money into these types of energy now that's way more susceptible to a pandemic now and things like that when if you're investing in alternative it can probably weather this type of storm much better potentially as far as where do we go with the the majors and all this i just don't know yet i see both sides of the coin i see the side of all these cowboys and rookies i think that the majors will get a shot at getting into the permian basin i think that you're going to see some major guys go under and Chevron and these guys are licking their chops, just waiting to get in. Um, but at the same point, they've lost so much in capital. How much cash are they going to have left? You know, I, I mean, who knows how this bleeding is going to go? You know, that, and that's the other part. Are they going to continue to pay their high dividends? Are they going to pay their, their stockholders through all this? You know, I mean, you've already started to see where some oil companies are cutting dividends. Most people only invest in a lot of these oil companies. For the dividends. So Nathaniel, yes, it's what we talk about. Like, you know, uh, why maybe you shouldn't always look at investing in a dividend paying stock, you know, are they going to be able to, to weather this? And so, I mean, honest to God, if BP was to cut their dividend, I think you would see a massive exodus from the stock. And then what's left? Do they have enough capital after the oil spill, you know? Uh, from years ago, with the billions they spent there, are they going to have enough cash to get in on a play? And if you don't get in on this play, is the industry even going to recover enough that it becomes a long-term viable business? You know, I, I don't know. It, it is so crazy right now because you just think like in the past, you would just look at this from a quick snapshot and say, oh, this will be over in three months. Prices will be back up to 50 and we'll be business as usual. I just don't know if it's going to happen and, and, and how to pick the winners and losers in this. I, you know, I, I don't study the balance sheets of the majors because I just don't really care. But, you know, I, I just think that the, the 12 million barrels a day U.S. as number one oil producer, that day is behind us. I think I think we're done. We appreciate having John on us with this uh, in this first episode of our oil extravaganza. And we look forward to our next episode where we will have John back with us again. You're going to continue to talk about the oil markets and the overall effects 
on the United States and around the globe, what John's thoughts are when it comes to a potential reverse effect of demand destruction, as well as a decrease in supply. Um, so we're really excited. And in addition, for the Wisconsin listeners, we're going to talk about his thoughts on propane and propane prices going forward. So thank you again, and we look forward to having you listen to our next episode. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, Please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.